0: Good morning again. It is great to be in the Lord's house. I hope you're excited about being here today. If you have your Bibles, um, we'll be in Exodus, the 20th chapter. Exodus chapter 20. And then um, at the end of the service, I'll be in Hebrews chapter 13. We'll be in several other places in between there. but um, Exodus 20, verse 17. And then Hebrews, the 13th chapter Um <clears throat> You know, it's hard to believe um, we're at the end. <laughs> um, um, the staff continues to pick at me every week, and, um, you know, they, they think I've been preaching longer because I don't have many more times to be able to um, speak, so they think I'm trying to squish it all in, but, you know, we're, we're at the end in many respects, folks, and um, as we spent um, weeks on the Ten Commandments, um, it's really been, it, it's been, it's been fun. It um, actually has turned into be a much more enjoyable and fun series than when God impressed me upon, um, you know, a year ago to, to preach on the Ten Commandments. I, I, I guess I wasn't really excited at first. I mean, this is the thou shall not, you know, and so, you know, it's everybody, but um, I, I, I just, it, it's really been, been a blast, and um we know that the first commandments teach us um, about um, our relationship with God, how we relate to Him and how He relates to us. And, and you know, and then the, the last commandments um, are more about our relationship with um, our, our, our brothers and sisters on, on earth. And so there's one side of us in the midst of the Ten Commandments that it's pretty obvious that we've understood that if we don't have a right relationship with God, we will never have a right relationship with those on earth. And so you say, hey, if you get that right, so if we just get the first half of the Ten Commandments down, why even bother with the last ones? (laughs) Because, I mean, if we get our relationship with God where it ought to be, the other ones will take care of itself. But God in His wisdom knew we needed practical advice. And so the last of the commandments have been practical advice on specific things about the way we live and why we live the way we do. And so, um, you know, in my humble opinion, um. God, God pretty much um, comes full circle with the Tenth Commandment. Now, I wouldn't have told you that um, six months ago, but as I've studied it and then put them all back in context, um, he starts by telling us there can be no other God before him, that God is God, and either that, that you understand that or don't, that either God, the God of the universe, the God of creation, the God of salvation, our God is enough or he's not. And if that God, if our God is not enough, then no God will ever be enough. And that, that's where he starts the Ten Commandments, to remind us of who he is and, and why that's important. And then I think he comes all the way back around to the end, and we get to the end, he repeats that same thought on an earthly level. That, that's really what the Ten Commandment is about. He says, if you're not satisfied with what God has provided you with, he said, if you're not satisfied with, with, with your house and your wife and your husband and your car and your truck and, and whatever stuff you've got, he said, then you're never going to be satisfied no matter how much stuff you have. He said, it's not going to matter. And so, you know, I, I realized that correlation there that if God's not enough, then no God will ever be enough. And you're going to always be searching for something bigger and better. And if if that translates into our our earthly life on a practical level, if you're not satisfied, if you're not content with what God, that God, the God of the universe has provided to you, then you're probably never going to be content and satisfied no matter what um, you accumulate here on earth in that respect. So, you know, I always remind us that God's commandments are intended for our good. They're there to keep us from unnecessary pain. God did not give us these commandments because he's a mean God and says, oh, I don't want you to do this. And God gave them to protect us. And and the other thing that to me just has jumped out of the Ten Commandments as as we've gone through it is the reality of how much God loves us. God didn't have to give us these commandments, folks. God gave us these commandments out of love because he wanted what was best for us. Danny Simpson let me tell you a little story about a guy by the name of Danny Simpson. Danny Simpson, if he had known a little bit more about guns, he probably wouldn't have robbed a bank. But 1994, this 24-year-old went to jail, and his gun went to the museum because he um, was caught and found guilty of robbing a local bank of $6,000, and um, he was sent to jail for six years. But the reality is, folks, he'd used a 45 caliber Colt semi-automatic pistol that was made by the Sum rifle company in 1918 the irony of the story is the gun that he used to commit the robbery was worth hundred and fifty thousand dollars way more than the six thousand dollars if he had just realized what he had in his hand he never would have needed to rob the bank well folks I think that happens in our life a lot of times if we just realized what we had in our hand, we wouldn't be um, looking for what's not in our hand. You know, it, it just happens in real life, and sometimes we don't know how good we have it until literally um, what we have is, you know. And so sometimes because of that, we make foolish decisions, and decisions that cause us much, much unnecessary pain. Finances are the number one reasons for divorce in America. You know, I, you may think it would be something else that... You know, but, but it's not. Money is the, the number one issue, and we, we've talked about that on some fronts in the past, but people have more arguments over money than anything else. And you might not have thought that that would show up in the Tenth Commandment today, but there's a fundamental secret about financial stability and healthy relationships that comes out of the Tenth Commandment. And, you know, that, that secret is found in Exodus, the 20th chapter, in the 17th verse. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male or female servants, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbors. Two things you need to understand about that passage before we go any further. Um, You can be nitpicky and try to decide who your neighbor is, (laughs) But that's not the point of the passage, folks. It's just like other places in Scripture when he tells us to love your neighbors, yourself. Look, he's not talking about the guy that lives next door to you, the people two houses down. They may be your neighbors, but it's a whole lot bigger than that, okay? And we can talk about the few specific things he's listed, but in his day and time, when that was written, that would have covered everything a man could have owned. Because it was all about um, the the number of slaves you owned and the number of servants you had and the number of cows you owned. And today we would equate that to how big your 401k is, how many cars you own, how big your house is, whether you've got a vacation home somewhere. That's still stuff. And the bottom line is God says that's not your stuff. He says don't covet what's not your stuff. And so, you know, it's that real. I believe the secret to financial stability and having healthy relationships is not getting more. It's wanting less, okay? I think that's the problem in America today is that we want more instead of being satisfied with less, okay? And so the word covenant, when he talks about um, to covet something, literally means to desire. It means to desire, and, and, and you can push that to the limit in some ways, but it says God simply says don't desire that which belongs to your neighbor, now, your neighbor may be your coworker, a relative that you've got. It can be a student that you go to school with. I mean, well, you can just take that and apply it in many fronts. But God says don't covet that which doesn't belong to you that somebody else has. He says don't want, you don't want your neighbor's stuff. He says don't lust after um, possessions because all lust is is an extreme um, desire to have something. And so he says don't long for things that don't belong to you. He says just because your neighbor gets a new car or builds a new house or adds on to his house or puts a carport up or if your neighbor signs a lucrative business deal or the the student next to you in school is making better grades than you or somebody gets a bigger allowance or a bigger paycheck, he says, look, don't don't worry about those things. Don't be jealous of them. Matter of fact, the Scripture says just the opposite because the Scriptures in Romans, the 12th chapter and the 15th verse says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. It says we ought to be glad for those that have done well. We ought to be glad when somebody um um seems to, to 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 get a break and get ahead. He said, Be glad for their success. Don't think, well, I've got to have what they have. But in our society, we have been taught you've got to have what everybody else has. And it doesn't matter what it is. I mean, I watch commercials all the time and it, it is just it's unbelievable. You know, that you know, a lot of financial trouble, a lot of unnecessary pain. Come from thinking that we're entitled to more just because somebody else has more. We're entitled, we, I, I say that before, folks, we are the generation, and our world is creating a generation that believes they're entitled. And they believe they're entitled because somebody else worked hard and got something. And so if they've got it, then I'm entitled to whatever they have. They, and, and it never will work, folks. And we don't appreciate what we already have. So we pursue more stuff. And as we pursue that stuff, more often than not, we end up losing the stuff we had. And it says, you know, one day Charles Darwin, and, and I just thought it was kind of funny because of who it was, the story is told about Charles Darwin, that um, he was a, a, a avid insect collector, which obviously makes sense there. And um, he, he, he loved insects and so on this particular day he had um, found a couple rare beetles and he had one in his um, left hand and he had one in his right hand and about the time he had them two and he was going to go put them in his collection he realized there was a third one and he just had to have that one so for safekeeping, he took the one that was in his right hand and stuck it in his mouth just to, to hold it while he while he had a free hand to get the other one well the one he put in his mouth literally shot acid down his throat burned his throat he started coughing and in the end he lost all three of them you know well folks isn't that the description of life a lot of times isn't that exactly we, we just we're not satisfied with what we've got in two hands we want a third hand and so we end up losing it all and you know um coveting is a personal disaster <laughs> that that that's the shortest way to put it i mean and that's bad enough but folks it destroys relationships you know, sometimes it literally tears people apart. Well, not exactly, but there was a guard dog named Barney that worked at um, Wookie Hall Caves. Wookie Hall Caves is a teddy bear museum, a teddy bear museum, and they had a guard dog at night. that they, they guarded the place. And, and so um, they had thousands, thousands of teddy bears at, at Wookie Hall, and um, the dog went berserk. Um, for some reason, Barney went desert, berserk, and... Um, the, the, the biggest loss in that was Mabel. Mabel was Elvis Presley's teddy bear. The owner of it had paid over seventy five thousand dollars at a Memphis auction for Mabel and had loaned it to 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 the hall for, for, for their their display. And it was it was the first teddy bear that Barney destroyed. And and, and trying to figure out what had happened that night, um um Greg um I'm trying to think what Greg's last name was, but Greg, Greg, Greg was the owner of the dog. He was in charge of the guard dog. And the best they could put pieces back together, what happened is he, he, was, he was actually holding Mabel, the dog's owner was, and was stroking the, dog, the, 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 the teddy bear and talking to the teddy bear. The dog became jealous and enraged, jumped up and grabbed Mabel, and in a matter of minutes had destroyed or damaged a hundred teddy bears in the museum before Greg could get the dog back under control and stop the dog. Needless to say, there's no guard dogs left at Wookie, um, um, um Hall Cave anymore. And, but, you know, but but look, but but that's the reality of life, folks. Isn't that what jealousy does? Isn't that what happens, you, you know, when we... Te- what makes us go on the attack? What is it that pushes your button? What makes us go on the, Is it jealousy over someone else getting strokes? <laughs> You say, oh, not me. Oh, come on, folks. Who are we kidding? How many times have you been offended because somebody at work got a raise and you didn't get a raise or somebody got a promotion and you didn't get a promotion? Or, I mean, what is it? I mean, that, that's the reality of it. I mean, and what do we tear into when we get angry about some case like that? I'll bet you most of the time it's something more valuable than a teddy bear. <laughs> you know, a lot of times it's the relationships that you value the most, that you destroy and you you, you hurt, and we can understand poor people wanting more because they don't have much to begin with, but look, this is the problem that affects the rich. This is the problem that affects the rich of the rich. Coveting is a problem among, amongst even those that have more than enough. Peggy Noonan um, wrote a book um, about CEOs in America, and the, the, the title of the book was John Paul the Great, but it, it, was, it was talking about John Paul Getty in the book, but, but that's the, the title of the book. And so she interviewed lots and lots of CEOs. One particular CEO that she interviewed with, um, she was interviewing and asking him what was going on. He says, well, it's um, report time. She says, what do you mean report time? She says, it's the annual report times." And he says, I love to read the annual reports of all the other companies. And she says, well, why would you care about the other company's report?" She says, oh, he says, you always flip to the back section. He says, that's the section all of us CEOs want to read because he says, we want to see what the other CEOs got in their package whether they got a new Learjet, whether they got a private helicopter, what kind of bonus they got. He says, we always want to know what they got. And she says, you've got everything. Why would you care? And she says, why would that ever be? And, um, you know, he says, this is a man that creates jobs that run America. She says, this was a CEO that had more than he could ever spend in all of his life. And by his own statement, he says, we all do that. We want to see what the other has, ma- uh, what the other has, because we want more. I mean, now look, yeah, and so thousands of years ago, God understood the system, folks. He understood that we want more, and we want more than whatever somebody else has got. And so, yeah, I, I couldn't help but think, what's on your mind? What what's on my mind? What is it that we want right now? What is it that you want right now? I mean, yeah, and. and This may be the hardest of the Ten Commandments to keep because it affects us all. It affects us whether we've got little or whether we've got a medium amount or whether we've got a lot. It affects all of us. And Socrates says, the most happy are those that need nothing. That's what he says, the most happy are those that need nothing. And then he entered the exchange in Athens where the exchange in Athens would have been... um, the mall, the super Walmart. I mean, it was the place in Athens where anything you wanted, you could get. that That's what it was. It was an open-air mall, but I mean, anything you could think of that in that day and time, that's where it was. And, and he says, one of the merchants asked him, what will you buy? What do you lack?" Like? And he said, after he walked to the middle of the market, he threw his hands in air and he said, good gods, <laughs> who would have thought there were so many things that I needed? Yeah, Look, even Socrates struggled with being coveted. I mean, sometimes we're not even—we covet things as soon as we know they exist. It's not even an issue of whether we need them. It's just that, that because they are, then we want them. And you know, so so what's the answer? If if rich and poor and, and and the wise and the foolish all struggle with it, how do we overcome this terrible habit? What can we learn? What can we learn so that we can be content with what we have? I don't think the answer is eliminating all wants and desires. Um, the monks tried that and, um, in, in, in the Middle Ages. They lived in deserts, they lived in caves. caves. Some of them literally um, built tall towers and, and sat on top of the towers where they, they, they wouldn't have contact with anything. So they, they wouldn't. Look, I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in a cave and I don't want to live on top of a pole. And so that just doesn't work in the practical world. I don't think that's the way God ever intended it for us, any. So that's not the answer. The, the answer to overcoming covenant is, is not eliminating desires, it's desiring the right things. It's desiring the right things and replacing wrong desires with right desires. Look, if I told everybody this morning, um, I do not want you thinking about green monkeys, you cannot think about green monkeys. Okay, nobody, nobody for the rest of this message, I want you to think about green monkeys, green monkeys with red tails. Now, I mean, green monkeys with red tails. How many times in the next 15 minutes are you going to think about a green monkey? I, I mean, it's just because now the, it, it, it's that way, and you, and you probably shouldn't be thinking about that stuff. And, well, so the way that you don't think about green monkeys is you think about something else. So why don't you think about that new car that your neighbor got? Oh, no, I'm not. That, that wouldn't work either. I mean... But isn't that exactly what happens? We think about something until we replace it with something else, and we've got to be careful. And God tells us, look, don't think about your neighbor's stuff. Don't think about your neighbor's stuff. I mean, how do we keep from desiring that which doesn't belong to us? The word covenant literally, as I said, means to to desire. And there's certain things that we shouldn't desire like our neighbor's stuff, like stuff that doesn't belong to us. But the Bible uses the same word in the book of Hebrews repeatedly when it talks about things that we should desire. It's the same word that's translated in the Old Testament to, 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 to covet it is desire in Hebrews and it says these are the things we ought to desire. And instead of, um, you know, thinking about your neighbor's mate, he says you're to desire your own mate. He, he, he literally says... Your desire, your own mate. You're to passionately pursue our own spouse and to long for intimacy with our own husband or wife. He says that's what we he says. If we focus on that, then we don't focus. And, you know, and then we're going to go to the PG rated part of the sermon. You know, because in in Song of Solomon, in the second chapter, it says, "Like an apple tree," this is, he's um, talking to to the young woman. Says, "Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, my lover among the young men, I delight." Or that word in delight in Song of Solomon is the same word for covenant, same word. It's I desire, I strongly desire, you know, to sit in the shade and the fruit is sweet to my taste. He says that's what you ought to desire. You ought to desire that which belongs to you, that which is yours. It's proper and right for a husband and a wife to desire time with, 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 with their spouse. I mean, that's the thing. He says the point is, is to find contentment and satisfaction in what you have, not what you don't have. He says, you know, God gave you a spouse for a reason. He says, and that's where you find your, your satisfaction. He says, it's not in the other things. Replace the desire with your, for your neighbor's wife, with your wife. Guys, he, I mean, he's that point blank on the subject and tells us that. He says, look, he says, the best thing that you can do to, to overcome um, desire, to overcome lust is to, is to cultivate real intimacy in your own life and in your own relationship. If you've ever been on an airplane, you know, the flight attendant will come on and, you know, and says, for those of you traveling with young children in the event of an oxygen failure, please place the mask on your face first before rendering assistance to your child. I mean, they, they say it in some fashion or form similar to that every time you're on a plane. In the event of an oxygen failure, you know, put the mask on your face first and then on your children. Well, let me just tell you, folks, that's good advice for the family that's still on the ground. Because c- I'm convinced too often parents spend most of their time placing oxygen masks on their children's faces while their marriage relation um, falls apart. You know, we, we live in a world where, and, I, and I'll make some people mad, but I don't care. But, you know, they, 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 well, you got to take care of your children. children. No, the Bible never says your children are first, folks. The Bible says your spouse, you take care of your, your relationships, and, and that, that's the way you take care of it. Look, the only way to have a strong family and to make sure that the, the husband and wife keep the oxygen supply of love flowing um, down to their children is to keep it flowing between them. He, he says, make sure you take care of it, because as he said, if you don't, he says, right after you suffocate, your children are going to suffocate. He said, there's going to be unnecessary pain, and, and we, we've messed up the order of so many things. And, you know, he says, you each... You're going to each have each other long after your children are gone. But he says, long beyond that, and he says, if you lose each other, but he says, and your marriage fails, not only will you suffer, not only will you deal with unnecessary pain, he says, those children that you think that you should have put, the, he says, they're going to suffer too. He says, keep things in there. He says, look, it doesn't hurt a child to leave them with the babysitter while you and your spouse go on a date. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't hurt them at all. It's, in the end, it's actually good for them because they grow up knowing what a real relationship and a loving relationship looks like, and they realize that that is um, more important than, um, than the kids not having a parent at the house for three hours while mom and dad went out to supper. I mean, we teach them the right things. When we pursue legitimate God-given desires, everyone benefits, our children, our mates, and ourselves. He says, don't envy your neighbor's lifestyle. He says, don't envy your neighbors. He says, don't envy anything about your neighbors, whether it's their job, their their, their marriage or work. You know, he says, look, he says, desire God's word. Desire God's word. He says, passionately pursue listening to God on a regular basis. It's that same word. It's to, to passionately, that we're to covet, that we're to covet a relationship with God, that we're to covet the Word of God. He says that we're to desire that way. He says we should ought to long to hear Him. The psalmist in the 19th chapter and 9th verse says, The fear of the Lord is pure and enduring forever, and the ordinances of the Lord are more sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold. He says desiring God and desiring His Word is the greatest treasure that you could ever um, receive. He says that's what we ought to covenant. You know, in, in the New Testament... In, in, in Peter he writes he says like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation he says desire the right thing desire the things that are important you know long ago there was a, a, a love-struck couple who wrote love letters back and forth to each other and the guy's name was um James Bracey, and and he wrote to his wife and you know he was staying in California and she was stationed on the east coast and so the only way they communicate was by letters and they'd not been married too long and and so um yeah they, they, they enjoyed that and and a half century later James and um Sally were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary and um they were actually listening to to one of the songs from back in the 50s and and, and um the, the late 50s they they you know and, and as they listened to that they joked about the fact that there'd be no more love letters, that you know that they were together now, and they, they didn't need to send love letters back. In, in the, Meanwhile, back in California, um, a construction crew was dismantling the post office in For, Fort Org, um, and, and as they dismounted, they found a letter in the wall, and it was a letter that James had written to his wife 50-plus years ago that had never been delivered. Well, they gave it to the postmaster in the nearest town. And to his credit, um, he he hunted them down, traced them down. And within a few days, um, that letter that was dated January the 28th, 1955, arrived and was delivered to Sally Bracey. She said it brought tears to my eyes, and she says it meant a lot. She says I became a love-struck 22-year-old once more. She says it meant a lot to me then, but it means even more to me now. Because she in 50 years, she had even learned to love her husband more. And it was even more valuable to get that letter now than when it was written. Because she had gone to understand how much he loved her. Well, I'm here to tell you, folks, many, many years ago, God wrote a love letter to us. And it was important then. But it's even more important now. Because after our lifetime of living and loving and understanding how much God loves us, the letter even means more. Because we understand how much God loves us. The Ten Commandments, folks, are a love letter. I never would have described them of that a year ago, but they're a love letter. They were from a God that loved us so much that He wanted to keep us from unnecessary pain. He wanted to protect us. And in the Tenth commandments, he tells us not to desire our neighbor's stuff. He said, instead, desire good things. Desire your spouse. Desire the thing I've given you. He says, only then will you really find what you're looking for. You know, in... The end of the book of Hebrews, because throughout the book of Hebrews, that that word that's translated covenant in the Old Testament, he tells us things that we're to desire. And in the 13th chapter, in the 5th verse, he says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the God that wrote the Ten Commandments to us, folks. And he wrote them because he wanted to keep us from unnecessary pain. And I believe there's a lot of pain in this world today because we desire the wrong things. You know, there was a troubled young man in Florida this week that took... 17 lives and I don't know him and I'm not a psychiatrist and I don't but I'm convinced I'm convinced in almost every one of these cases that person was not content with life was not content with the life they had they may have manifested their discontent in a way that is horrible and tragic But I'm here to tell you, folks, there's a lot of people that sit in church on Sunday who are discontent with the life that God has given them. And we may not manifest our discontent in such a radical way, but when we are discontent with what God has given us, we will lack the peace and the joy, and we will experience unnecessary pain. And God doesn't want that. God says, be content, thou shalt not covet. You know, I I struggled with how do you finish the Ten Commandments? I mean, how do you you wrap them all up? And I'm convinced of this. If I had to make a summary statement of the Ten Commandments, it is simply that. God loves you. God loves you so much that he was willing to give us guidelines, commandments on how to live life so that we wouldn't experience unnecessary pain. That's who God is. God loves you in ways that we'll never understand. Even when he says, thou shall not, it's said in love. His son Jesus Christ loved you so much that he died on the cross that he shed his blood that he gave his life is the ultimate demonstration of how much god loves you god says thou shall not sin and it's not because it's not because he doesn't want us to have what we think is fun and pleasure and, and experiences he says thou shall not sin because i don't want you to experience unnecessary pain And the ultimate unnecessary pain is to spend eternity in hell. But God loves you so much, he's made a way that you don't even have to experience that. If you'll simply trust the God that loves you, that sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. There's hope. There's hope.